I'm glad that you're here today, whether you are one of the very few who are in the building today or whether you're joining us online. I'm glad that you're a part of this service. Uh, we are in a short series about the covenant of grace, and uh, it's my privilege to be the teacher today. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors uh, for Alive in Jenison, and it's a joy to be with you. In just a second, you'll get the address for the New Testament scripture we're going to be in today. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit about where we are. Um, Pastor Susan opened at the beginning of January this series teaching us about the foundations of covenant. And then we're spending three weeks talking about the fruit of that covenant. Last week, we talked about what it means to be redeemed. The covenant of grace redeems us, pulls us away from our trouble to bring us back into his presence. Next week, we're going to be talking about how the covenant of grace restores those things that were taken for us. It's like a recovery ministry where the things that we've lost, he now returns to us. This week, we're talking about how the covenant of grace rebuilds our relationships, all of them. You know, I thought about that uh, over the holiday season uh, when we were gathered around uh, the gifts at, at Christmas. And uh, um, I have three grandsons that were there that day, and so they are um, seven, five, and four. And uh, they're pretty amazing kids. Uh, the four-year-old stands uh, about this tall, and I happened to find at Tractor Supply Company in Hudsonville a 70% off, big remote control, it's a Chevy truck, but I'll be okay, I have hand sanitizer, a remote control truck about this big, and I pulled that out and set it in front of him, and the four-year-old just hugged the whole box, and he said, oh, I love this so much. It was an amazing little moment to see the passion in his heart, but you know what the truth is? It had to be removed from the confinement of the box in order to be played with. It had to be taken out of the thing that it was shipped in and all those little zip ties and twisties that hold that whole thing together when it's shipped from wherever it was made. And it has to be taken out of that so that my grandsons can play with it. It's like a relationship. It has to be taken out of those things that enslave us or confine us or hold us apart from someone and it has to be removed so that we can be in that relationship. I know it's kind of a dumb story, but I think it makes the point. And as I was thinking about that over these past couple days, and I even talked to Cheryl this morning uh, when we were having coffee early today, and uh, I said, hey, what do you think about this dumb story that I wrote for this? And um, so you have to take it out of the box, and you can't play with it yet because you have to charge it, right? And uh, so that everything works and put the batteries in the remote control. She says, yeah, and like the human heart, it has to be recharged and recharged and recharged. And I think she's 100% right that it's not one and done. It's a forever relationship with the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us to keep that relationship in place. Remember the primary thing that we're learning, that the reason that the covenant works is because God is the faithful one, and he sends his Holy Spirit into us. We sing it that he's the breath in our lungs. He's the one that um, affects all of the righteousness of Christ to us, all the inheritance that Jesus has as the first son, the first fruits of all those who believe he now gives to us. That's what this story is about today from Scripture. That in order to build a new relationship with our Heavenly Father. We need to be set free from those things that confine us. Anyway, that puts it together. Here's the address right here in the Luke chapter 15. It's page 872 in my Bible. So I'm gonna invite you to turn there and uh, be a part of the scripture. Take notes, write them in your margins, circle, underline, and highlight. 
as we move through parts of Luke 15 today. One of the greatest stories in Scripture, I think. Uh, For our prayer text this morning, before we jump in, a couple select verses from Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Let me share those words with you beginning at verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. And verse 8 explains it. God found fault with the people. We ruined the first covenant. And here's what he said. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. But listen, when he brings in the new covenant, he does something new to our hearts. He takes us out of the box and he recharges us. Here it is, verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they need to teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. It's an amazing covenant, God, that we have. That when we understand from the scriptures that we're the one who distanced ourselves from him, he's the one who brings us back and restores us and gives us life. That may be, maybe I should just say amen because that's the whole deal right there. But we gotta jump into Luke 15, so we're gonna do that in a second. So pray with me and, uh, and then we'll tell the story. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have redeemed me. You've redeemed us to know you to be set free from a sin and self and those things that enslave us. And you gave us a new heart and a new mind to have a restored relationship with you. And so we celebrate you, God, and we ask that by the power of your spirit, present with each of us, no matter where we are, that we will hear your word and believe it, that it will sink deeply into our hearts and that it might change our will to obey you and serve you in love. Father, may that be the power of your word today to give us that new heart and mind and to recharge and remind us again how much you love us. So help me to be a good teacher, and may your word uh, be illuminated by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Hopefully you found that in your scripture already. If you haven't yet, or you're in a place where you're just on a digital device, you're going to be able to follow along. The words will be right here in the bottom. Jump in with me at verse 17, and it begins uh, with these words. When he came to his senses... So we're talking, this is the story of the the prodigal, the rich prodigal father who had a son, the prodigal son who left him. If you remember that story, if you've ever read it before, um, the, the son, the oldest son, demanded from his father the share of the inheritance so that he could go off and do whatever he wanted. It's kind of like saying, I wish you were dead because I need your cash now. And as soon as he was able to pile all that up and wrap it up in a bag, He left, he distanced himself and went to a foreign land. But there came a point in his life where he was destitute and in pain and he thought, well, maybe I should go home. And even though he thought his father wouldn't accept him again, he did, he came home. That's the power of the love of God that's in our hearts even when we're resistant. He was in enough pain to at least try. And that's a God-sighting moment. When someone says, I'm just, I'm so sick and tired of my life, I'm going to go home. It's evidence that God is at work. Because God will do whatever it takes to bring you home. 
Here's verse 17 again. When he came to his senses, I love that language. You know this word. It's a, it's a Greek word that sounds a lot like our word for euphoria. And what it means literally, because it's like resurrection, resurrection language, it means to arise, to stand up and come back to your real self with a right mind to realign your life with the purposes of God. He came to his senses. It's almost like he shook himself out of a, a, a drunken stupor. And he said, probably to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I can feel the tension in just those couple verses. Can you feel it? The, the tension of wondering if he'll be accepted. Will his father welcome him home and feed him? Will his father still show love to him? I don't know that he knows the answer. But somewhere in his heart, by the power of the Spirit, he rises up and he goes. Verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Um, the word there uh, talks about the, uh, the seat of emotions, your guts, literally. His father was filled with an emotion, like uh, it describes a gut-wrenching ache. How every day he had longed and looked for his son, and then there he was. And verse 20 says, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. He did accept him. He did welcome him. Remember, Jesus is telling a parable so that we might understand the heart of the Father. This is a God who runs to you, who dances with you, and sings over you. Verse 21. And while all this was happening, <laughs> while the dad was running to him and getting ready to launch around his neck and kiss his face, the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, just like he rehearsed. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He was ravaged with guilt and shame to confess his sin. He declared his deep sense of unworthiness. He knew that he had harmed his father's heart. You know, I don't have this in my notes, but as I was having a devotion around that, one of my favorite verses, my favorite stories in the whole scripture, it reminded me of Isaiah 30. Listen to a couple of those words. Write Isaiah 30 in your notes so you can read it later. It's not a long chapter, but it's amazing. It begins with God speaking to his people. Woe to you, the obstinate children, declares the Lord. To those who carry out plans that aren't mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for the help of the Pharaoh to protect them, for Egypt's shade to be their refuge. And he goes on and on to talk about how they have lived a life all of their own. And I'm gonna jump ahead to verse 15. But this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In repentance. The reason that I turned to Isaiah 30 is I was wondering to myself, 
It's not after repentance, because if you remember the story of Luke 15, it's almost like the father didn't even pay attention to that confession. While he was repenting, he was accepted. In the middle of that, because that is expression of what God has already accomplished and done in our hearts. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And God says, those are the truth, but you would have none of it. You said, nope, we're going to flee on horses, so let's go. You said, we're going to ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will flee away till you're left like a flagstaff on a mountain, like a banner on a hill. Yes, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Isaiah 30, 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all those who wait for him. Isaiah knew the word of God. Jesus tells the same story about a God who will rise up and run to you. The son said, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and in the middle of that repentance, God gave him compassion. Verse 22 But the father said to his servants, instead of speaking to his son, he turns to the servants. He says, quick. Literally, it means um, don't let anything stop you. It doesn't mean right now. It means get on it. Bring all those things that we've reserved. Remember, we, we had a plan. We had a fattened calf, and we had decorations, and we were ready for the banquet. Go drag those things out of the closet and the barns and set up the party. Put all this stuff together. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Remember, this is resurrection language. It's being pulled out of the box and recharged. It's being removed from the sin that so easily entangles and that enslaves us, and he sets us up and gives us life. Oh, I love this story. He's not dead, he's alive. Verse 24b. So they began to celebrate. And it is no stretch for me to imagine that he danced with his son, that he kissed him, that he sang to him. Uh, the word to celebrate there, when it says in 24, so they began to celebrate, it means to, to make merry, to, to have a feast, to revel, and the heart of the father is quickened. He pulls out all the stops at the opportunity to restore his son. I mean, come on. This was a heaven practice. But we need to back up the story a minute. Because all of that, that restoration party that he threw, it came out of ache. It came out of pain and distance and separation. I mean, there was something that undid those family ties. There was something in the heart of the eldest son, or that son, who made him get up and run away. You see, the son's affection was set on the blessings of sonship, his inheritance. His affection was more about that pile of cash than it was about the love of his father. And when his heart was set on the stash of cash and the things it could buy, the food and the friends, and you know all the things that it can do, his heart wanted personal freedom and frivolity more than his father. I think that's the root of sin. When our heart longs for personal, uh, personal freedom and frivolity more than it does to be connected to our Father. 
And when I was writing that sentence a few, a few weeks ago, and I, I rehearsed it this week, and the thing that hit me is we can actually love life more than our Lord. We can actually love the benefits more than we can our Father. You see, our natural heart wants to be independent of his authority, to be independent of his word and his kingdom and his rule. Somehow, because of sin in our hearts, that feels oppressive to us. And when our affection is set on the blessings and the freedom more than it is on our Father, that swings wide open the door to temptation. And quickly through the door comes hatred. The son wished his father was dead. And lust for the party life, to just go out and live because the day is short to have freedom, to be emancipated. That's what the unregenerated heart wants. That's what the sin that lingers in my heart wants. And when my affection opens the door to temptation, then I act. The son left. He lost his desire for his Abba Father. And he separated himself from home so he could do whatever he wanted. It sounds a lot like a covenant, doesn't it? A covenant that we break. You see, the New Testament describes the heart of the human as either controlled or led by the Holy Spirit or our own flesh. We all have a master. We all follow something. Either the desires of our own flesh or our divine Heavenly Father. And Jesus calls it out and he says, I know, I know the sin in your heart. And that's why I'm going to come and give you a new heart. If we were to put those all on a timeline, here's what it would look like. Our natural affections and our attitudes are the things that opens the door in temptation to let in the things that cause us to act. And so we follow sin that leads to destruction. That's the condition of the human heart that is full of sin. You see, sin is a deviation from the Father's holy and perfect will. Some uh, versions of the scripture call it missing the mark. Uh, no matter what the analogy would be or how you define that word, God has a, a will, a good, pleasing, and perfect will. And when we veer one way or the other, when we're inclined away from him, we miss his plan. And somehow we begin to prefer that more. We begin to prefer that first. That's what sin does to us. It's what we talked about last week, that our hearts are inclined towards sin because of our fallen condition. And if we're left to ourselves, we'll naturally migrate away from God's will in our relationship with him. But this is the good news of the story that Jesus is telling in the parable of the prodigal son. This is the good news of the scripture today. And maybe it's even the oddest part of the parable. The father didn't pursue the son into the distant land. He let him go. He let him go there knowing that he would burn through his bundle of self-serving resources quickly and that soon pain and longing would enter his gut and he'd begin to long for home to at least be in the proximity of his father, to at least eat the crumbs or the leftovers of his father's grace. I mean, the father trusted the heart that he was forming in his son that even though we're prone to wander, we will respond to his faithfulness to us. You see, the heart of the father is different. Here's what the, the, uh, the line or the timeline looks like in the heart of the father. His affections and attitudes toward us don't open for temptation. The Father tempts no one. 
it opens with an invitation to come in. His actions follow his heart. His affection is toward us. He invites us into his presence, and his actions follow. He restores our relationship. That's why he sent Jesus, to take care of the covenant, to wipe away our guilt, shame, and the penalty of that sin, and then stand us up in his presence as a son and a daughter. You see, in this very next part of the story, the son comes home, stinking with sadness and, and remorse and maybe even some pig poop between his toes. Read the whole story. You'll know where he was. And while he was confessing his sin to his father, his Abba tackles him with hugs and kisses and throws a party for him, gives him new clothes fit for a son and a banquet and maybe even a band. This is a big and unexpected turn of events for those to whom Jesus was telling this parable. The Pharisees who were listening, they would have reeled at this turn. They wouldn't have forgiven the son or received him back into the family. They would have made him pay. But in this parable, Jesus reveals the heart of his father, the heart of the father who gives a covenant, a new covenant of grace to restore every relationship with his children, to welcome them home no matter what. And I love the way he did it. He did it by becoming undignified. The father would have had probably long clothes on and he had to hike them up over the belt that tied it all together so he could run through the grass and the weeds to see his son. He became undignified. He gave up his glory. Leaving his glory behind, he runs to us. This is grace. The fruit of the covenant of grace is always a restored relationship. His faithfulness and kindness leads us to repentance, and in repentance, we find life and restoration. I mean, look at the parable. The son leaves home and chooses to be distanced until he's in pain and finally comes to his senses. And when he shakes himself awake in that stupor, by the power of the Spirit in him, he comes home and he's restored and forgiven in a moment. I thought about that, and I thought, man, I... I learned that already when I was in fifth grade, probably even before fifth grade in, in, in the catechism. They used to pick us up from school at three o'clock in the afternoon on the bus, and they would drive us to church, and then our parents would pick us up from there, and they would teach us out of the catechism. And here's, here's a little demonstration of one of the things I learned as a nine or a ten-year-old, is that the heart of humans in sin are naturally inclined away from God, from his word. We want to be emancipated from that. And uh, so I brought one of these large shooter marbles uh, from home. Um, Doug, I'll save this for you for after in case you lost 20 years, all right, buddy? <laughs> Don't mute me now. Um, so here's how it goes. Just take a peek right here a minute. The heart of the human is naturally inclined away from God. And so when we stand up and we're under our own control, what do we do? We move away from God. But the power of the covenant of grace, remember, he gives us a new heart and a new mind, and that inclines us towards God. Against our natural inclination, inclination, we're inclined towards God, and now when we stand up, when we hear the call to come home, what do we do? We run to our Father. It's a dumb little demonstration with a charcuterie board, but I think it makes the point. My every inclination is evil all the time, the Scripture says. I always want to be emancipated and free. It's a hard thing to surrender your heart. It takes the covenant of grace and the presence of the Holy Spirit abiding in us to change our hearts, to will and to act 
according to his word, to love his heart more than I do my own life. The truth is the Father is with us all the time. He's ready and he's waiting. And he trusts his Holy Spirit so that we might turn again to him. The goodness of God. That's what this is. It's so amazing and so surprising, it's actually beyond what we can imagine because his mercy never fails. We're never out of his hand or out of his reach. He leads us home through the fire, through the valley, no matter what, he's always close. And I don't know where you are today, where you need to come home from, but maybe you found yourself distanced and you've just been trying to control and manage and all those things. And the scripture calls us that in repentance and rest is our salvation, to be uh, to trust in him to rest in him so turn your face towards him it's a 180 turn your face toward him face your father i dare you and i'll bet he'll run to you and he'll tackle you with his love and he'll set you at his table and he'll speak words of love to you because god fixes what's broken in us he changes the inclination of our hearts he releases us from bondage by redeeming us from sin and by the grace that we have through faith in jesus christ all of his covenant promises are given to us and we are restored in relationship yes sin harms the heart our heart and god's heart It causes pain and separation, division and hatred, and even death. But by his grace, God restores our relationship. With all of his heart, he wants you at his table. His table. He wants you so much he's willing to die for you. And he did. Jesus did for you to redeem you from bondage, to set you free from the death penalty, and to bring you home, relationship restored, done, check the box. And maybe I should just say amen. But when your heart is full of that truth, there's more. Listen for just another minute. I mean, I don't think that's the end of the story. Each of us has been redeemed to our Father, uh, seated at the banquet, and we're having great fellowship. And there's singing, and we can hear our Father's words remind us how much he loves us. And I, I think that's not the whole story. I think there's more than that. If that's all there was, he would save us and take us. We'd already be in heaven where we could worship him and know him and love him completely and perfectly, but he left us here. You see, I think that's the other side of the gospel of grace. Yes, it changes how we understand who God is, and it changes how we understand who people are. It changes the way I love God, and it changes the way I love others. And when my heart is changed, and I begin to love the heart of God, I begin to love others. The gospel of grace changes all our relationships. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians 5. And he, that is Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded even Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Okay? 
Here's what he does. He gives you a commission now to go tell someone. Look at the end of verse uh, 20, verse end of verse 19. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might be the righteousness of God. And here's the covenant promises that we get to share with anyone and everyone. There is no condemnation. Romans 8, verse 1. There's no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Out of the box, redeemed, recharged, ready to be in relationship. And no one is lost. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me but raise them up at the last day. Resurrection language. Raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on that day. And no more fear. A word we've heard a million times in the past year. Hebrews 10, 19. It's the fear is gone because we have assurance in the work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, that's relationship language, to move into the presence of God. Pastor Susan opened with a devotion a couple of hours ago when we were warming up about who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his presence, only those with clean hands and a pure heart, and that's all in the covenant of grace because of Jesus we can enter the presence of God in full confidence by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. It's all him. And that's the bottom line. If you're in love with God and have a relationship with him, you're a part of his family. And you receive the full inheritance of being a child of Abba Father. And now as a part of the family, you also inherit his mission. To go and serve, to go and bring life. You see, the last benefit I want to talk about this morning is there's no more selfishness. We're free to serve. Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, and we are, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's my vision for 2021. I think 21 is a year of harvest, gathering up all the fruits of righteousness that God has planted in our communities. Your heart connected with God. Your confident quotient uh, through the roof, no doubts, no fears, fully on mission, and your spiritual vitality is you're recharged every day. You're fresh and powerful and effective. You recycle your energy by spending it, and then in the morning it's brand new every day. I think 2021 is going to be a fresh new year of deeper relationships for those who grab hold of this truth and don't let go, for those who humble themselves before the Father. You see, only when we humble ourselves are we inclined towards his heart.
you see that Scripture says that if we humble ourselves before Him, He will lift us up in due time. For some people, 2021 is going to be stale and frustrating. It will be. Holding on to the past, all the things, holding on to those patterns of behavior that emancipate us from God's presence. I want to challenge you. I want to invite you into a journey this year of saying the past is done, it's gone, and the new has come. And to live into the new covenant of grace uh, with a fresh energy and a fresh insight, a fresh passion and desire, a new covenant in Christ, this new year is a year to build relationships. Because I'll bet there's someone you know who doesn't know Jesus. And that's the first place to start. You see alive, we're all ministers. Ministers of reconciliation. And we're called to bring life into our communities. I'm glad you were in the Word of me today to be again reminded how much God loves you and to be reminded of our call to bring life into all of our communities. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Father God, for all the things that you want to do in our lives, we surrender. Father, for those of us today who are in a far and distant place and we're beginning to ache because of that distance, where there's a holy longing just aching in our gut, the, the longing to stand up and set our face towards home and to go there. Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, everyone today who's in that place will find their feet pointed and running towards you. And Father, by your Spirit, minister to us with that confidence that your Scripture talks about, that you will receive us and forgive us, for you've already redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb, and you will set us with a new ring and a new robe and sandals on our feet and a place at the banquet. Father, this is your word, your promise, your covenant, and you never fail. And then set our affection, Father, on you and all those that you love. Father, help me, help us to love my neighbor deeply, to give you honor and glory by demonstrating how you've forgiven me, how you've loved me first. So help us, help alive, help alive to be an enduring place for those who are seeking you. Um, Father, help us uh, to recover fellowship. Help us to be able, um, as soon as we can, uh, to be in that fellowship, that our energy might be renewed, that we might be recharged from seeing each other's faces. So Father, we pray for wisdom and patience and we pray, Lord, that your will will be done regardless of where we stand. We pray it all for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I'm glad that you are here today. And I pray that the word of God just sinks in deeply and takes a deep root and grows a harvest of righteousness for every one of us this year. That this becomes a hallmark, a banner year of bringing in the harvest of faith and belief that God has prepared in our community. I wonder if there's someone that you know, someone that I know that has become desperate over these past 10 months. And they're ready to rise up because they have an ache in their gut. And maybe they don't know where home is and they need someone to help them understand the one who loves their heart from eternity. Maybe someone needs you. So if you're following along uh, on the website, you know at aliveandgenison.org there's some buttons there on the homepage so you can either give or receive financial help. You can uh, offer prayer and find someone to pray with you, uh, or even if you want to be connected, uh, connected in prayer, connected to an elder or deacon or one of the staff, you can do all of that right through the website. It's one of our ways to say that you're not alone in this journey. 
So as you stand up now to move into the rest of your, uh, your Sunday, a Sabbath rest maybe, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he cause his face to look right at you to grant you his peace. Amen.